to church until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I realized their end. See, because some people, and this is their goal. And if it's your goal to live your best life now, if that's your goal in life, you don't want to be a Christian. I can tell you that right now. And I'm going to show you in scripture. You do not want to be a Christian. But if you want to live your best life forever, then you want to be a believer. If you believe that there is an afterlife and you believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell, then you truly want to believe that, you know, that what God has called us to is to live our forever life, is to live life in light of eternity, right? But yet, if we don't believe that, then the worst place that you can possibly be is in a church seeking God, if you're trying to just get it all right now, because they they really, they run in complete opposition to each other. And so I want to just take some time today and maybe, you know, speak to that, and hopefully in a way that it would set us free uh, and then refocus our attention on what's really important and what really matters in this life. And that's really my hope and my prayer. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we do have to get together today and and pray that, Lord, you would minister to us, uh, Lord, as we read your word. Uh, Just thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who not only affirms it, but uses it to encourage us in in, in the areas of our life where we're off track. Uh, Lord, uses it to correct us. And Lord, when we're just blatantly living in sin and opposition to you, you use your word to rebuke us, and it's because you love us, and you you do have something better for us. And so, Lord, today, um, help each and every one of us to take our eyes off of this earth and to fix our gaze freshly upon heaven today. Lord, that's what we were just singing about in worship and why it's so free and why it's so wonderful to know that in our life, the best is still yet to be. And Lord, that gives us hope. And Lord, that comes from you. And we thank you for it as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was, as as Isaac told me about that, that Joel Osteen had done a sermon on this, I I had to, I typed in the word, your best life now. But the first thing that came up though, wasn't Joel Osteen's book. And I'm laughing because it was a sermon by John MacArthur. And I had to listen to it. I, I love John MacArthur. There's a lot of things I don't agree with John MacArthur you know, about. But I love John MacArthur, and uh, I, I love using his material. Um, but he said this, and this I completely agree with, so I have to say this. But this is from 2008, mind you, okay? It was a sermon that he preached, and he titled it, Your Best Life Now or Later, okay? And I love that. And uh, he said, I'm quoting him. He says, the title of the book, and he's speaking of Joel Osteen, I skipped a whole bunch, he he said he was traveling and he was in an airport and he saw this book that was all over the shelves and it was titled Your Your Best Life Now. And he said, I've seen stacks and stacks of these books everywhere that I've gone. And so out of curiosity, I want to know what's in the book. And so I found this on page five. God wants this to be the best time of your life. Another page, it says, happy, successful, fulfilled individuals have learned how to live their best life now. And on another page, it says, And as you put the principles found in these pages to work today, you will begin living your best life now. And he says, and that is absolutely true. I love this. He says, if you're not a Christian, this is it. You better get the book because your next life is going to be infinitely worse than this one. This is your best life now. In fact, it's the only life because in the world to come, you will only exist in perpetual state of dying with no hope, no satisfaction, no meaning, no joy, no future, no relief from eternal suffering. That's the worst life possible. And this is your best life if your next life is hell. But on the other hand, he said, if you are a child of God and your sins are forgiven and you've come to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not even close to your best life. You can't even comprehend what the best life looks like because eye hasn't seen nor ear heard, nor has the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Contrary to what is popular today, even in religious circles. And you know, John, he just names names. He just starts reading off, you know, and uh, he says in Christian circles, even in the name of Jesus, the Lord is not promising you here and now a full, happy, rich, satisfying, trouble-free life of wealth and success. Oh, he does promise that. Absolutely a full, rich, satisfying, trouble-free life of health and wealth and success 
and absolute joy and peace and perfection, but not now. Not now. In fact, quite on the other hand, our Lord has promised to those who know him and love him in this life, trouble, persecution, rejection, difficulty, trials, temptation, pain, suffering, sorrow, sickness, and even physical death. So for the Christians, this is our worst life now. It isn't that bad, but comparatively, it's the worst when you think about the life to come, which is the best. Your best life as a Christian begins when this life ends. What's that song? One, ten, I'll fly. I could have John come up, right? And he'll sing, I'll fly away. Christians through the centuries have understood this, he goes on to say. Certainly, the early Christians understood it. The Bible makes it clear you just can't expect all the promises that God has made to you for heaven to necessarily show up here. Any sensible Christian understands that. Don't expect more than this life can deliver. And I was like, that was so, that's why I had to read it. It just so, so point on as to what, you know, the Lord would have us glean from this. You know, and so, so to say this, you know, as I stand here, you know, as a church, you know, as, you know, followers of Jesus Christ, you know, we're not seeking to offer people here. I just want you to understand this. We're not seeking to offer people here their best life now because that's impossible. And what does it do? It, it, it sets up people for failure and it allows people actually to define what their best life is in their own terms, right? And then it forces Jesus to do what? You know, he said, pray in my name. It forces Jesus to deliver. And then when Jesus doesn't deliver, what happens? And this is what I'm seeing. They quit, they give up, they move on. They go, oh, I tried Jesus. Have you ever talked to somebody who said that? Oh, I tried Jesus. I asked him for this and this and this, and he's a cosmic genie. And when he didn't deliver, guess what? I was down the road. And you go, where did they get that? They got it from pulpits. They got, they got it from, from pastors and from teachers who said, you know, that you can have it all and you can have it now. You just have to what? You got to see it to believe it. And then you, as, and you have to visualize it, you know, and what the mind can conceive you can achieve. And, and there's things that it's tantalizing, right? It just reminds me of everything I was teaching last Sunday with regard to the enemy in the Garden of Eden. What does he do? Oh, God didn't say that. He wants you to doubt. He wants you, and what, ultimately what does he want you to doubt is doubt God's love for you. Oh, God, if God loved me. He would do all these things for me. He must not. And that's exactly what the devil wants to take place in your life and mine. But see, what God desires that we do. You know, we want to teach you. We want you to comprehend. Yeah, we need to, to live in light of what? Forever. Yeah, and as we do that, the impact that that's going to have on our life, to know that, guess what? Are you going to go through difficult things in this life? Yes. And, and how many times have you gone through something difficult? And someone, even a believer, just like in the life of Job, they came to you and they said, Oh, what's the sin in your life? You know, it must be because you're sinning. Because God, he, did, he doesn't, he wouldn't allow that. See, because we can't wrap our mind around what? Oh, no, it's not about this life. It's the life to come. So what happens is we have an enemy of our soul that just beats us down. And then he uses believers to do the same thing. Oh, because we don't want to believe that, you know, I could suffer. I could hurt. I could, you know, I could, I could go through periods of discouragement and doubt and all these things that we see all throughout Scripture. And then say, oh, and God's behind it. But yet, when you come to the place and you understand, in the life of the believer, this is as bad as it gets. The best is yet to be. What does that do? It gives us hope. No matter what you're going through, it's like, what's that expression? If you're going through hell, then what? Keep going. Don't stop. You know, man, the last thing you want to do is stop. You know, and think about this. This is what I said earlier, and I, and I want to I want to give you a text to kind of wrap your mind around. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You know, you can live your best life now, but you're going to have to live your best life now apart from Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that? What did Paul say? He was dealt with the same question. First Corinthians fifteen verses thirty through thirty-two. Paul he says, and why he's talking about presenting the gospel, right? Because if you those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
Scripture tells us are what? They're going to suffer persecution, right? You're going to pay the price for trying to live for God. It's going to happen. And so Paul is, is explaining that. He says, and so why should we risk ourselves, you know, our lives hour by hour? He says, for I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death every day. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. It says, and what value was there in fighting the wild beasts that were there in Ephesus? He's talking about the, the religious leaders who came against him, right, and opposed him. He says, if there was no resurrection, because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in a forever, right? They believed that, hey, this life is what it's about, and go for the gusto. Get it all here. Get it all now. One in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? So, and Paul says this, and this is what I want you to think about. He says, and if there's no resurrection, he says, let's what? What does your Bible say? Let's eat or feast and drink for tomorrow what? We die. Yeah, if there's no forever, if there's no forever, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then you know what? We're wasting our time here, folks. You know, I mean, the truest sense, right? I mean, it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that promises you and I. Because he lives, he says what? I'll live too. I mean, people all the time, it's like, oh, I don't know, Pastor Mike. I mean, I don't know what direction, you know, I should go, you know, da, da, da. You know, I mean, you know, I don't want, you know, God to, I don't want to be way out here and God be over here. And I'm like, it's such a basic thought. You go, wait a second. Can you go anywhere from God? No. Wherever you go, where is God? He's with you. And what? He's even closer than with you. He's in you. Do you think God can, can change the direction or the course of your life if he wants to? He has that ability? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet, the, the beauty of a, being a believer is knowing we don't serve a dead Savior. He, he's risen. That's the beauty of the resurrection. He's with you, and he's in you. And he wants us to enjoy life in the sense of everything we're thinking of is forever because he's with us, right? No matter what. That's what overwhelmed David all through the Psalms, right? I mean, we think of the 23rd Psalm. We share that, you know, at funerals. You know, though I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death. How did David know that? Because he made it to the other side, right? How did the disciples, when Jesus said, get in the boat, and they all start panicking, Jesus looks at them and he goes, what did I tell you? He said, I said, get in the boat. We're going where? to the other side. If he said, you know, hey, we're going halfway and I'm going to sink this thing, he goes, then you'd have reason to do what you're doing, but to take God at his word. And that's the struggle of the believer today. Are we going to believe God? Are we going to take God at his word? Are we going to study his word? Are we going to study it in a way to show ourselves approved to God? They go, God, I, I believe you. And remember, believing isn't just, oh, yeah, I believe, but it means to trust. It means to act upon. It means to rely upon. That, that's the belief that he's called us to. And Paul's going, and if you don't believe that, he goes, then just live your best life now. Just eat, drink, and be merry. You know, and you can be. There's the thing. So what happens is, and maybe this is the clincher. So you look at people, and I look at people, and you see, you go, they don't love Jesus. And look how happy they are, right? Look how fulfilled they, they appear to be. Look how, look how much they're enjoying life, right? And they go, and they're, and they're having that now, right? It's here and now. And then we go, oh, and you go, but they're not doing it in light of what? Forever. There's a difference. They are, they are living for the now, and you can do that, and you can experience pleasure, and you can experience joy. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable, but for how long? A moment. We all know that, right? See, but when you start thinking about forever, it changes the moment. Amen? And that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. Look at this in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and he's talking about the sorrow that they're, that they're going to feel. He says, in a little while, he says, you won't see me. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, but a little while after that, he says, you'll see me again, third day, arise from the dead. Some of the disciples ask each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you'll see me, and I'm going to the Father. And what does that mean, a little while? We don't understand. I love that because I look at that. I mean, I ask that a lot, right? And Jesus says, Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. And he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me when they see the cross, right? He says, but the world will rejoice 
says, but you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor or a man who gets the flu. Oh, I mean, I threw that in there. I'm sorry. I, I, I just, that just slipped out. I'm sorry. I just said, because men, we understand what women go through. We've had colds, you know, amen, huh, guys? Yeah, no, you know, it says when her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. What's he talking about? It's, it's life that comes after what? Death. Life that comes after death. It's the focus of the forever life. He says, at that time, you won't need to ask me anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. And then you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. And because of that, I came from, from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Then his disciples said, at last, you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. And Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming indeed, and here is now, when you will be scattered. Each one is going to his own way, leaving me alone. Did that happen? Yeah, it was the cross, right? He says, and yet I'm not alone. And now you're not alone. He says, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because what? I have overcome the world. But what did Jesus say there in verse 33? He said, here on earth, you will have many what? Trials and many what? Sorrows. As a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of God, yeah. you're going to go through heartache and heartbreak. That, that's part of the fallen world in which we live. Jesus came to redeem it, to restore it. But where does the ultimate redemption take place? In heaven, one day. That's what we love about studying the book of Revelation, right? There's coming a day. It hasn't happened yet. But when it happens, what did Jesus say he'll do? He'll wipe away every tear from our eye, right? There'll be no more death, no more dying, no more pain in our bodies, you know? All those things, what? They'll be passed away. And all things are going to be made new. But that's when? After we die. That's not here on earth. Now, here's what one, I mean, popular social influencer wrote regarding living your best life. And so these are the things that get said that, that really, unfortunately, especially our younger generation, because they're so much influenced by social media, says this, the most important word in the phrase, live your best life is your. Strip away the social media filters and look at your own values objectively and with honesty. Figure out what's most important to you what matters on an achievable level and go from there. What do you need to do to be satisfied with your life? Once you've figured that out, set some goals, hate your busy city life, then make time on the weekends to escape to the country. Don't reap energizing rewards from your job, question. Do something about it. Take tiny steps to inject things into your life, into your workplace, set new goals, talk to your boss about new responsibilities, or look for something new. Take a class, learn a skill, take up a new sport or a hobby. Everything is within your control. Do you agree with that? That's a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, seriously, but it, but it, but it oozes with hope and possibility. Like, oh, I'm in control. I, 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 I. What did we talk about last week? What was Lucifer's downfall? The five I will statements of Isaiah, right? And, and you look at this. It's a lie. So much of my life, so much of your life is completely out of our control. Whose control is it not out? God. What did Jesus say? You are safe in my hands, and I am safe in the Father's hand. It couldn't get any better than that. 
First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? He says, do you not belong to yourself? You don't. He says, for God brought you, or excuse me, bought you with a high price. He says, so you must honor God with your body. And you know what happens? You know, I look at the things in this world, like the, the issues that we're dealing with, with identity situations that people are going through is not understanding who we are in God. Amen. You know, I have said many times in this pulpit, I started when I, when I was in youth ministry, I've said, you know, the world, there's three things you need to understand. The world will use you, the world will abuse you, and then the world will lose you. And we see it every, every single day. And so what happens is we get in this battle, we're trying to find our best life now, but we're looking to the world. And that's one of the things I loved about Paul when he says, don't be what? Conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you really understand your worth, you know, what a difference, you know, that makes in the direction that we go in our life, the value that God has placed upon your life. I, I want you to think about something. So I have a hundred dollar bill. This is a real Real $100 bill, okay? Okay. Larry Vasquez left his wallet out one day, and he told me years ago, Larry's listening, he has, he has a secret place in his wallet. He, he keeps like, well, it used to be $200, probably $400 now because of inflation. But in his wallet, he would tuck that away there. So I took one of them. No, but, um, but this is a real $100 bill. I'm, I'm going to give this to somebody. But I, I want to begin by just asking you, who, who would... You would even want a $100 bill. You'd be willing to walk up here to get $100, okay? There's like one, two. I wish I could film this. There's three, four, five. The numbers are growing. It's a real, don't you come up here. It's invitation only. This is like Jesus at the, at the supper, you know, hey, hey, wrong, wrong table, pal. Wrong. Get the back. But think about this. Some of you would, would come up here and get this. Okay, but let me ask you something. Okay, this is $100, right? So if I took this $100, though, and I, and I go like this with it, and I crumble it all up, I mean, I crumble it as much as I possibly can. I, I crush it. I take it in my hand, and I do this with it. How many of you would still want it? Why is the number larger now? This is like being in a church, right? Oh, because... We feel sorry for the hundred dollar bill. We want to minister to the hundred dollar bill. No. Okay, but what what if I took the hundred dollar bill and I put it on the on the carpet here, and this carpet hasn't been cleaned in a while? And I take my dirty shoe and I I press it into the the carpet there. How how many would still would still want this? Man, it's a growing number. And and there's a reason. There's something I want you to think about. There's, there's a reason for that, because you know something about economics. Though this $100 bill is crumpled up, and though I stepped on it on the ground, it didn't decrease its worth. It didn't take away any of its value whatsoever. But it's an amazing thing today. You know, as I look out from this pulpit, there are many of you that, you know, as Scripture says, that you are created by God. You were created for God. I want you to think about that. Ephesians 2.10, it's such a, a beautiful text. Uh, and when you study the Greek language, it's, it's, it, it, we're God's poema. We are his, and in the English language, it says here in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece, okay? Masterpiece. And I look and I see what's happened in the world today. People, they've lost their identity, right? They don't know who they are because they're looking to the world. They're looking to the here and the now, again, to shape and to mold them. And they're looking to the world to determine their worth and determine their value. When the world doesn't determine your worth, the world doesn't determine your value. God determines your worth and your value. And you are, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, right? So we can do good things that he has planned for us long ago. Okay, now you can come up. Now, because you, that was what, such a good $100. See, that taking that step of faith. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. No, no. I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? You're being preferred here. 
And you know what I'll do? What's your name? Ezra? Ezra? Because <clears throat> I really poor and I, only, I had to go to the bank to get that one. I will get another one for you. Okay. Okay. You that, thank you for being bold. And that was definitely uh, after the service. No, no, you keep, I'll get Ezra another one. Yeah. I might get him too. Who knows? You don't know. No, no, that is awesome. You know, the, the message of, of the Bible, obviously, you know, it's clear that we were created by God before God. Amen. I, I love it. it was, I think Augustine who said it, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. God w wants us to be fully alive. Colossians 1, 15 and 17 puts it like this. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things which can, we can see and the things which we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities, all the things that we talked about last week in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. That's me and you. You want to find out who you are? You know, you're not going to find your identity in the world. You're going to find your identity in Christ. Amen. That, that's what he's telling us here. It says, for he existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. And so, you know, you're here today, and, and maybe you're struggling you know, with who you are and what's your purpose in this life. I, I want to encourage you that you're going to find it, you know, the best life ever, the best life forever is going to be found when you and I set out to bring glory to God and we worship him. You know, I walked in and, and Susan was in the front here. She was just, I mean, you know, whatever they were drinking, she was drinking too. I was just, just caught up in worship and just the joy of just loving Jesus. I mean, you know, and it's just such a beautiful thing, the freedom that we have. And I love being in a church where there is freedom uh, to just worship the Lord. And, and we were so blessed with such wonderful worship teams and we so many worship teams that, again, just help us to, you know, enter his gates with thanksgiving, you know, and his courts, you know, with praise. But it's, but the key to the whole thing here, it, it's not rocket science. It's living with an awareness of God in your life. That, that, that's what God wants more than anything else, is that you and I would live with an awareness of God it's, it's not, you know, we're not puppets of God's to go out and do all these things. God has taken care of it. And for the most part, he said, you know, from the cross, he said, it is finished. The work of my salvation, your salvation, you know, that guarantees our forever. Jesus paid that price. And all who would receive him, who would believe in him, says he gives eternal life. Not something that we earn, something that we don't deserve, but he loves us. And, and Paul then, you know, because of that, when we start to, to really understand who God is as we walk with him. And that's the only way you're going to get to know him. It's the only way you get to know anybody, right? You hang around, walk with him, spend time with him. Paul wrote this in Colossians 3, 17. He says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, the father. You know, it's to think that you go, so what, what's the purpose of my life? He says, just to go through life and be grateful be thankful, you know, what God has, has done for you in Christ Jesus and what he's doing for you now. Where, where is he now? He's preparing a place for you, right? He's in heaven preparing it. It's personal, a place for you. It's not just like, oh, yeah, it's like a hotel and all the rooms look the same. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He knows you. He understands you. That's what makes heaven heaven. Our best life. It's going to be realized as we know him and we make him known. John 17, 3 puts it like this. It says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. Colossians 3, 15, going back, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And again, be thankful. And I love that, that, that phrase, be thankful. It, it literally means become thankful. And, and I, it was so sad. I, I was reading an article about a, a Christian singer. Well, I'll tell you the singer. I won't tell you all that happened, but it was Amy Grant. And, and Amy Grant had made a statement that she was very thankful to God. She had, a, she stated a near death experience on a bike and she, and it really helped her 
to understand just how good God was. And she was very grateful. And I was reading the comments and the comments, man, I mean, were so cruel. And they were from Christians. They were from other believers. And they were things like, well, she should have already been thankful. And you go, have you ever gone through something and God saved your life, you know, after you got saved and you went, it made me more thankful. It made me more appreciative. You go, there's nothing wrong with that. But yet the, 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 even the church is like, you know, like we got saved and were we all of a sudden, were we perfect in every single capacity? And they looked at her life and goes, well, she, she votes this way you know, and she doesn't give money to this and this. And then it became political and all this. You're just going, wow. And you just see if there's anything in it, and if there's a sin, if, if someone was to ask me and they said, Pastor Mike, what do you think the number one sin facing the, not just the world today, but the church? And I'd say it's the sin of ingratitude. It's the sin of ingratitude, and it is rampant in the church. And you think in your own life, you know, are we, are we grateful? Because here's the thing, gratitude is a choice. And I talk to people all the time in the church, and it's like, they complain about everything. You go, could you just be thankful? I mean, have you ever thought about just being thankful? I mean, you don't just love people who are thankful. I mean, they just, it's the, having a heart of gratitude. Because that's what God wants, and that that changes so much, you know, about our life. And I, I look at this because as we went through the book of Romans, Romans chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty-four, kind of puts it into perspective. It says, "But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky." Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And there it was. And because of that, it says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Do you see that happen in the world today more and more? Yeah claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. We see that today. Those that the world would consider wise have become fools. Could you give me the definition of a woman? No, I cannot. No. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them, key word, abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. They're having their best life now. That's what you could say. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, you know, once people stop believing in God, it's not that they will believe nothing. The problem is they will believe anything. And that's what we're seeing. Not having God at the center of our life. And so you think, you know, how, how do I today, you know, before you go, you think of some things like this, how do we become thankful? So what would make me and you, what would make us more thankful as we look at God's work? It's worship. When you worship, when you see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are. It's one of the things that if you walk with God for any length of time, you see more sin in your life than you did when you first got saved. That's what's so amazing about it. It's why Christians struggle sometimes when they, they look at themselves because that's the beauty of holiness, right? Because when I see how wonderful God is and how holy God is, I see how wretched I am. And our imitation of God is, God, change me. It's not, you know, I, I am who I am. It's like, no, God, you know, you didn't make me this way. Sin made me this way, but God changed me, changed me from the inside out. And he desires to do that. And so I, I look at this, if we would just set our hearts to worship, to think about the things that he's done. See, this is about thinking about your forever life, right? It's not what Jesus has done for you. But what is he doing today? The Bible tells us, I shared with you earlier, he's preparing a place right now. The Bible says he's preparing a place for you. 
and he's doing something else. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for you. He's praying for me currently, right? What a wonderful thing. And then what's he going to do? What's he going to do one day? He's going to come back, and he's going to take us home, and we're going to be with him forever. Amen? You go, man, so worshiping God. I mean, there's tons. If you a bookstore out there, go to Barnes and Nobles. What's the largest section in Barnes and Noble? Self-help. Self-help. The I did it my way section. But see, you can live your best life now. But if you're setting out to live your best life now, you're going to do it by forfeiting the life that is to come because they, they run in opposition to each other. Because when you start living your life in the forever mode, now Philippians 2 always comes to mind that Jesus, though he was God, right? He did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of becoming a man, right? He took on human flesh. That was humbling for God. And he became a, what, a servant to the point of what? Death. Do you think he was living in the, for the now? Do you think he was living in the moment? You go, no. What was he thinking about? Eternity, as the writer of Hebrews would declare, for what? The joy that was set before Jesus, what did he do? He endured the cross and he despised its shame. Was it painful? Yeah. Did it hurt? Absolutely. But why did he do it? Because he saw what it would accomplish. And guess what? He's seeing what I see today. It's you. You'd be saved. I'd be saved. We could spend eternity with him. And he's going, it was, he was willing to go through it for us. Having a forever life. John 14, 1 through 3, you know, Jesus said this. Again, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God. Trust also in me. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's home if this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. What an encouragement. Man, when you're going through it and it's life is hard and you're getting kicked in the teeth, you, you, you're sick, you know, your body hurts. I mean, you know, as you get older, you know, kids, you're not going to, you don't understand this, you know. I didn't when I was your age, you know. Now I go to bed and it's like, should I just sleep sitting up? You know, wasn't ever a problem when you're a kid, right? I love my grandkids. They just fall asleep. I just carry them around, carry them around like wet rags, right? They're just, they're just asleep. I mean, if I do that, my arm falls asleep. You know, that's the only thing that's asleep. But it's crazy. You know, it's painful to think one day we're going to get a new bot, right? Oh, yeah. See, there was no, there was no young people saying that. It was all, all us old folks. You're like, yeah, you didn't hear any kids going, "Hey, man, yeah." It was like, "Oh, yeah." And seeing the old people, we can't even raise our arm. Ah, oh, I would have said amen to that. But I, I mean, we look at like Isaac today doing worship. You see, he's so young; he just raises his hand. Some of you go, "Man, I'd love to do that." I remember when I could raise my arm like that. It's awesome. No, it's not about the here and now. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said. Heaven and earth will what? Disappear, but my words will never disappear. So our, our best life, like I said, our forever life is realized as we set out to glorify God. And it's not going to happen by accident. That's the thing. You know, today, you know, just as we get ready to close here, another passage of Scripture I'm going to bring to your mind here in just a moment. You know, how are we going to live our best forever life? And this is what I want to leave you with. How do we live our best forever life? And we can. The first thing we do is we start by, as Jesus said, start by what? Loving God. Just in your heart and mind, you sit out and you go, I want to live my best life forever. You go, how does it start? And how does it end? Loving God, right? Jesus said you can fulfill, remember there are 613 laws of Moses, right? And, and Jesus says you can fulfill them all in two things. Love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, right? He goes, that's that's it. You set out to do that every day, man, you're going to hit home runs. Your day is going to be good. And he said, and then out of it, he said, the second commandment is likened unto the first, meaning that if you're doing the first one, the second one will automatically happen. It'll, it'll just automatically happen. And that's how you'll know that you love God. Because what we do is you'll love people. Love God and love people. Now, can we do that in our own strength? No. People bug us, right? 
No, they do. I mean, even your Christian friends can bug you, right? You know, it's like what Proverbs says, hey, you stay a few days, stay you know, too long, what's going to happen? I'm going to ask you to leave, right? You ever been at somebody's house, they finally get up and kind of move to the door? You know, and you stand over by the door, you go, oh, I guess it's time to go. It's like, okay, I get it. Love God. Matthew 22, uh, 34 through 40. Remember, that you know, the scribes, like I said, they, they came, and they were trying to trip Jesus up, you know, the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees then come. And Jesus says, you know, in verse 34, he says, well, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, because they were talking about the resurrection, they were going, that, hey, the, the reason there shouldn't be an afterlife, right? They're, they're giving Jesus reasons there shouldn't be forever. Don't you love that? Jesus, you, it should just be the here and now life, your best life now, right? That's what they were saying. Because they're going, because think about it. Think about the forever life for a minute. And he goes, there's a guy, he, he was married, and then uh, he died. And so his brother married his wife, then he died. And then, so they go into all this, they go, man, what about this guy's in heaven? They go, and, and they've all had the same wife. They go, whose wife would she be in heaven? Right? They go, man, do you know the problems, Jesus? Of, of, can you imagine a, a mad wife in heaven? I mean, huh. and what did Jesus say? You're not going to be given in marriage in heaven. You'll be like the angels, right? It was, it was going to be different in heaven, right? So, so now the, they're going, oh, they, they didn't trip Jesus up. So then the Pharisees come along there. It's like, man. So they're trying to stir it up, try to cause a fight. And they go, oh, so we'll bring up the 613 laws of Moses. And we'll go, Jesus, tell us which one, you know, is, is the most important. Because, man, saying that, guess what? It's that old expression, you get two Jews in a room and you got three opinions, right? So all we got to do is throw this out there and, and it's going to cause a fight. And Jesus turns the tables on. He just says, you can fulfill all the law of the prophets. Just do two things. Love God and love people. Matter of fact, don't even worry about loving people. Just focus on loving God. Because when you're loving God, and you know this as I do, when you focus on loving God, is it easier to love people? You go, yeah. Because when you don't want to love them, what does God remind you of? You can throw this out, say it out loud. When you don't want to love other people, what does God remind you of? Yeah, I'm, what he went through for you, right? He goes like, you were the other person to him, right? And he goes, and I loved you. You didn't deserve it. You've sinned against me. How many times did you say, sorry, I'll never do it again, God, and you did it again? He goes, but I didn't give up on you, and I kept loving you, right? And that's what he brings to mind. So he's not going, you should do that for them. What does God do every time? He reminds us of what he's done for us. And that's the beauty of it. You fall in love with Jesus, and Jesus will take care of everything else in your life. You will begin to experience what it is to live your best life forever because you're living in light of forever. Love your neighbor as yourself. The last thing I'll share with you before we go here. And then it's just, you know, think about this. Our best life, you know, loving God, loving other people. But there's really one more thing on a day-to-day -day basis, because this is where we get kind of sideways, you know, as, as Christians. Seek first the kingdom. You know, this world, you know, like I said, is it, the enemy's tricky, and he wants to like I said, discourage us. I mean, he's a thief who comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Uh, you know, he wants you to become disillusioned. Uh, he wants you to be not just tempted, but he wants you to fall to temptation so that, you know, again, you deal with guilt and condemnation in your life, though, though Jesus paid the price for all those things, that he wants you to go down that path. So when I think about seek first the kingdom, you know, I think about, you know, things like priorities. I think about, you know, first things first. I think about keeping the main thing, you know, the main thing. It's been well said, you know, that those who do the most good in this life are those who are living in light of the next life. And I believe that's true. You want to have an impact in this life? Live for the next life. Because what's that going to do? We're going to realize this life is short, right? I mean, if I really lived, you know, with forever in mind, would I let go of things a lot faster? Let things bug me as much? You go, is it going to matter a hundred years from now, much of the stuff that we get all, all sideways about? You go, no. But see, that's what happens when you start living forever, right? With a forever mentality. 
just let it go. Let it go. So then I look at this and again, what am I investing my life in? Jesus put it like this. He says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust can destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. That's why it's important to keep God first because he will become, you know, whatever you know is in your heart, that's the thing that you're going to pursue. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is, no one can serve two masters. And this is the problem that we face in the world today. I watch, you know, many believers come in all fired up, you know, for God and, you know, not holier than, you know, thou just holier than I used to be, you know, in that sense. And then, you know, kind of walking with God and then, you know, the, the snares, hey, I can kind of have both. I can have my cake and eat it too, you know, trying to figure that out. And Jesus said it best. He said, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This doesn't, doesn't work. And so it's living in awareness you know, what is worth living for. Amen. And what's worth living for are the things that are what are forever. You know, if you think about how much time and effort we spend on things that we can't take with us, right? There's only three things that last forever. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. And those should be the things that dominate our life. It doesn't mean that other things don't have value and can't be important, but they should be lesser things. But we look at our lives today and you go, probably, there probably needs to be some reshuffling. And, and John put it like this. First John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's a moment-by-moment -moment battle, isn't it? And so what do we do? Guard our heart, right? What is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? And we'll close with this. What is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Lean not, what? On your own understanding, but what? In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? And he will direct your path. And has God ever led you astray? Where will he lead you? He'll lead you home. Into his presence is what? The fullness of joy. Yeah. You can live your best life forever, but that begins with a relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, as we close today, you know, I shared with you a few weeks ago, you know, as we end our services, you know, going into our tomorrows, I always want to give place for you, you know, you can head that way really fast. But, you know, if there's something that, you know, was said during the service or during worship and the Lord just kind of, you know, pricked your heart and you go, maybe for some today, you haven't ever received Christ as your Savior and Lord and you need him. You need him to forgive you of your sin. And you recognize that, you know, I don't, I don't want you to leave here without coming up and letting us pray with you and help you take those next steps of, of you go, hey, I get it. I've been living for the here and the now. And to be honest with you, Pastor Mike, it hasn't brought me as much joy as I pretended that it was bringing me. There's an emptiness. There's, as, as we've been well you know, read, it says there's a God-shaped void in every heart that only he can fill. And you recognize your need. Let him fill that today. Definitely nothing to be ashamed about, amen, to discover you know, how much God loves you and the plans that he has for you. And so we'll be here. And but maybe you're here today and you're a believer. And it's the same thing, though. You just go, man, I... You know what the lust of the eyes, the lust of the I mean, I get that. You know, the pride of life, you know, I just got ripped off. Well, the devil tricked me. I've gone down the wrong road. The beauty of repentance is never anything to be ashamed of, but it's always something that's celebrated. The Bible says every time that a sinner repents, there's a party that goes on in heaven. 
and that maybe you're in that place today and you go just just again for your testimony you want to defeat the enemy in your life yes he's already defeated but it's walking with god and then going hey you know what i overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb by the word of my testimony and you go i went forward to say publicly i've decided to follow jesus this i wasn't doing that. i was over here and today today i make that decision and guess what those are marked moments in life that you get to celebrate and you take with you as you move forward so as the worship team comes and and i want to pray if if you need prayer you need jesus today i want to invite you don't don't hurry out of this place if you're here today it's a perfect day we've got a, a baptism right after uh the service here there's a baptism right outside the doors here uh john's going to be out there baptizing today maybe you're here and you've never been baptized before and you know that you know what that's it's a call of god to walk in obedience you know to signify that you died to yourself and you come out of that water of baptism that, that you now are, are been risen in christ jesus and the life that you now live you live for the son of god who loved you and gave himself for you and and that's a public call that god it's just like a wedding ring is to a wedding ceremony your baptism is to your relationship with jesus it's an outward sign of an inward change and you go pastor mike i didn't bring any clothes extra clothes doesn't matter it's so warm out there right now in five minutes you'll be dry and plus your seat and your car is probably so filthy Getting in it with a little bit of moisture will probably be good for it. But amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for just your word. We thank you for just a wonderful time in worship today. And I just pray for every heart that's here, that God, that we don't want to ever just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers. And Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do today, whether that's to come to you and receive salvation, whether that's to return to you and recognize you afresh in our life as King of kings and Lord of lords. May we know, God, that you love us and that the mistakes, the failure, the sin that we've committed, as I shared earlier, it's in no way diminished our value to you, our worth. But it's what we think. We, we just think, oh, I can't go to God. I messed up too many times or he'll turn me away. But your word is so clear. He said that all who come to you, you in no wise would you cast them out. And so have your way as we go today. Bless this time of fellowship that we get to enjoy after the service and be glorified in your church this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I invite you to stand to your feet.